Just give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. All righty, we're going to talk about something that I absolutely love to chat about. I've written about it quite a bit, and it's about being constructively pissed off, kind of, sort of. And you all know what I'm talking about. You know, we all find ourselves from time to time in a pity party or drinking a cup of the fine wine with an H. W-H-I-N-E, that is. But how do we really um, spend time with ourselves when we are in discomfort, when we have something really to fetch about, you know, fetch, whine, be annoyed about, and, and, and do it constructively? And my first guest today is doing just that. Tina Gilbertson is an author. She holds a master's degree in counseling psychology and is a licensed mental health counselor. And she's written the book, Constructive Wallowing. In addition to working with adults one-on-one, she teaches assertiveness and self-esteem workshops as well as classes on goal-setting, decision-making, overcoming anxiety, and finding the right career. And it sounds like she's a sister at heart because she's really getting into this concept of owning our discomfort and owning our unhappiness. Good morning, Tina, and welcome. Good morning, Sister Lisa. It's great to be here. (laughs) Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it is my pleasure. Let's just jump right in because this is really a subject that makes me gleeful, and I can't really put my finger on why, but I think you and I know why. Well, I, it makes me gleeful, too, and it's a little bit, um, maybe it's the counterintuitive nature of it. There's something a little bit of a renegade about uh, somebody embracing these so-called negative feelings, and um, I think it's the glee of the renegade, maybe, that we feel, or the, the glee of relief that we don't have to be um, something other than we are, ever. Ever. I, I yeah. like that. And and the gleefulness comes from, I think, the edginess, you know, the, especially being somebody who works in positive psychology as I do. People will always say to me, oh, you're, you're Ms. Happy, you know, and I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I am. I am a, in, in, intrinsically a very happy person, but I know that chewing the fat is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if people understood that you need to go through negative emotions in order to be fully and truly happy, um, they might be a little bit more inclined to do that. Um, it's just so easy to, to, 
to turn away from from anger and despair and all of that and think, well, geez, I'm, I'm supposed to be a happy person. If I'm going to be happy, I really uh, need to, to run away when I feel these things and find something to be happy about. And it's it's just a paradox that you really need to turn toward uh, unhappiness in order to be happier sooner. It just doesn't it doesn't uh, seem to compute, and it's Ex- hard for people yes. to have faith in that process. Exactly, and, and let's talk about what's so constructive about wallowing, and you know how to be a good wallower. I mean, some people don't know. Oh, I think uh, many people don't know. I mean, when we think of wallowing. Um, we we are usually talking about behaviors like eating a bunch of ice cream and watching lots of TV and uh, staying in your bunny slippers and not going out. Those are all things I think we do in order to avoid actually wallowing or immersing ourselves in our emotions. Um, so uh, the wallowing that we usually think of is destructive or self-destructive rather than constructive because we are we are acting out in usually destructive ways instead of really wallowing in our feelings. So what's constructive about wallowing is that we are addressing the actual emotions that, that, are, um, that are making us miserable. We're, we're, it's, we are facing them head on and embracing them and dealing with them in a really direct way that helps them move through us faster. So what you're saying is the image of, you know, the... Uh, PJ-clad person in the dark room uh, with a pint of ice cream or a pint of something stronger, yeah. uh, <laughs> self-medicating on whatever level you want to uh, talk about, is not really the fine art of wallowing. That's right. And the other thing that people think about when they think about wallowing is actually more like ruminating. Um, you know, when I talk to people about wallowing and I tell them that an emotion, an actual emotion lasts only about a minute, they're skeptical. They say, well, I've wallowed in my feelings, and it really seems to last a lot longer than that. And when I ask them what's really what's going on in the moment, it turns out that what they're doing is going over and over and over in their heads, the, things that, the thing that made them unhappy. And uh, that's ruminating. That's, that's thinking. That's uh, picturing outcomes and worrying and using your brain instead of your heart. And that ruminating is just, um, that's something we do instead of feeling. Ruminating is the brain's attempt to make us feel better because there's all these yucky feelings under there uh, that are driving the, the bus and saying, you know, we need to figure out a way to feel better. You know, here brain, the heart says to the brain, give me a way to feel better. And the brain says, okay, well, let me just look at this from different angles. I'm going to go over and over it until until I can find a happy angle on it. And, of course, that doesn't work because um, the feelings are there. They're already there. They've already been triggered, and they're not being addressed when we ruminate like this. So, I love what you I, just said. Ruminating yeah. is the brain's attempt to make us feel better. That's yep. amazing. Yeah, and I find when I'm ruminating um, that if I can – as soon as I remember to do this, what I do is I say – Whoa, what am I feeling right now? Instead of, oh, what did she say to me and what did I say back and all of this stuff, what am I feeling right now? Boom, the rumination stops and I sink into this moment and this feeling that's driving the rumination. Two things come to mind with what you just said. The first mm-hmm. is that when you when you ask yourself what you're feeling, it brings you into a mindful place, which of course yeah. is the big buzzword lately, but it brings yep. you to the present moment. And in the present moment, we're generally safe most of the time. So right. we're not in the past. We're not in the future. We're firmly planted here. That's the first thing that comes to mind. So there's the mindful aspect of it. The second aspect is what happens to our brains when we do that. And we're going to get into that with Rick in the next um, half of the show. But the brain cannot occupy two places at once. Right. Right. And, you know, just to, to back up for a second, when you said the pre- present moment is generally safe, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And, and, but when people are experiencing an emotion that, that frightens them, they may feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm angry, or oh, my gosh, I'm in such despair. If I stay here, I'm going to sink down and down and down and never get out. 
Or if I stay here, I'm going to get angrier and angrier and I'm going to hurt somebody or break something. So I think emotions can make us feel like we're in danger. Yes, I I, I agree with you. I completely agree with you, actually, because I think why we go to the ruminating phase, and it may be a default setting that we're doing uh, unconsciously, is because we fear the discomfort or we fear our own fear of being in the yucky emotions. Yeah, and part of that is wiring, I think, and part of it is uh, uh, social learning. Um, we, We fear feeling bad because we're wired to seek pleasure and avoid pain, of course, right? We're supposed to move toward things that feel good and away from things that hurt us. And uh, some feelings like shame are very painful and uncomfortable, so we naturally move away from them. Um, But also, socially, we receive training early, early on, and our good parents don't even know that they're doing this, and society doesn't even know that it's doing this. We We have all these experiences that teach us that emotions are dangerous, because there's not enough uh, of, a, of a distinction drawn between our emotions and our behavior. As, as kids, we don't really understand the difference between um, uh, I made mommy mad by getting my clothes dirty versus I am bad and that's why mommy's mad. You know, um, I, I shouldn't, let's see, I shouldn't hit another child becomes I shouldn't be angry. The, the behavior and the feeling get conflated. Mm-hmm. So then when we get, then we learn, oh, okay, well, if I get angry, I might hit somebody, so I better not get angry. So we get, we become afraid of anger rather than fearing violence and aggression. And anger is a very useful emotion. I totally actually. agree. And it's, and it's an important one because good people get angry when there's been an injustice. We're supposed and- to get angry. We are supposed to get angry, and happy people get angry. Happy but people do. <laughs> but the happiest people I know are the ones that are able to allow the emotions to roll, mm-hmm. deal with them when they present themselves, mm-hmm. and then have the ability to move on. Not forgetting. Yes. No, not forgetting. But, um, yeah, moving on is kind of a, a sticking point because we think that we have to do something special and mysterious in order to do that. Um, Like, oh, I have this feeling, but now I have to somehow, in a healthy way, move on from it. And how do I do that? And I think it's good that it's a mystery. I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Lisa? No, I'm, I, what I'm going to say is that we are going to joyfully and gracefully dance to a break. And when <laughs> we come back with Tina Gilbertson, we are going to actually break it down. You know, break down the process of dealing with our emotions and allow our listeners some insight into this um, dealing with it and moving on process and um, the difference between constructive and non-constructive wallowing and when to know when to say when. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. My guest today is Tina Gilbertson, and she can be reached at tinagilbertson.com. On Twitter, she is at Tina Gilbertson. And on Facebook, she is at Tina Gilbertson Counseling. And the book, once again, is Constructive Wallowing. Here come those tunes, and we will be right back. Promise. I wanted to fight. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, 
and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we urge you to download this podcast on iTunes. Why? Because it's free, it's kind, it's legal, it's available 24-7, and we are having an amazing show today. We're talking about being happily pissed off, the art of the fine wine. Moreover, we're talking with Tina Gilbertson about her new book, Constructive Wallowing. So, Tina... To carry on our subject matter of uh, stewing in our juices in a in a fine way, yeah. Take us through a, a constructive wallow, the ingredients to a constructive wallow. Okay. Well, I mean, the the first thing you want to do. I mean, it's not really a, a step by step process. These things kind of happen all at once. But one of the things you want to do is just just kind of outline the situation in your mind in a really brief, simple way. So. Rather than ruminating and going going over something over and over again, just say, you know, I, I had a fight with my neighbor or, or try to bring it to a, a simple um, description just to bring order to the chaos. And uh, also what you want to do is try to find a word for how you're feeling right now, not a word for what your neighbor was, what a jerk, you know, but that, that's not constructive. What you want to do is find a word for how you feel right in this moment as you're thinking about it. So it might be, I, you know, I regret the way I acted. Um, but then you want to also uncover self-criticism. Many times when we feel bad, we think we are bad, and we say things to ourselves like, oh, I'm so sensitive, or oh, I should be over this by now, or why is it, this, why is it such a big deal to me? You want to uncover that self-criticism because that is uh, detrimental to healing and moving on. And instead of self-criticism, you want to try to understand your own point of view and ask yourself, why would a good person feel the way that I feel? So you find an explanation that is not a justification, but it really helps you understand why you feel that way. And then lastly, you just have the feeling, you know, instead of thinking about it or talking about it or acting it out, really steep yourself in the feeling and let it pierce you because it's only going to last for just a moment, and then it can roll on through. And that's it. That is the, the process in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell. And where do we get hung up? Are we getting hung up on the uh, allowing it to roll on through? Um, I think the self-criticism really hangs us up. And, yeah, we don't. I think people don't know exactly what it means to let it roll on through. We think we have to push the river. You know, I need to let this feeling go. When, uh, in fact, what's going to happen is the feeling will let you go as soon as you allow it to fully reside inside of you. It's like, um, you know, how do you, how do you end a sneeze? Once you're sneezing, how do you stop? You well, can't. You, the, the sneeze ends. How do you yeah. stop yawning? The yawn is over when it's over. The sneeze is over when it's over. It's a sneeze. It, it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so does a feeling. Uh, it, you know, it feels like we're in this emotional soup all the time, and some feelings seem to last forever. But if you break it down and you go right into the emotion, not the thoughts about it or the worry about it, but the actual emotion, there's a life cycle there where it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end if you don't interfere. It's only by interfering with that allowing of the feeling that you can slow down a feeling and keep it stuck to you. So it's like a paradox. In order to let a feeling go, you've really got to step into it and let it have its day. You know, you've got to feel as bad as you can for as long as you can to make that feeling's 
uh, visit short. Like the opposite of what you would think. Let's visit grief for a moment because um, I recently had someone, uh, my partner, his closest friend of 30 years passed last week. And we were talking about the sensation that one has of grief. And I think this articulates your point very well, that when we are grieving for the loss of a loved one, the actual wave of grief that spawns um, a a crying bout is very, very brief, actually. You are so right. I mean, I, I, this is exactly the example that I often use from my own life. The actual wave, no matter how, how extreme our anguish, and, and what you're describing sounds like a, a tremendous loss, no matter how much anguish we have or how big a loss, the actual wave of the emotion is momentary. It's momentary. And yes, will there be another wave later? Probably, if the loss is big, it's going to take some time to work through. Um, or to just be through. But the actual emotion itself, the thing that frightens us, is uh, momentary. And my observation, because I've been paying close attention to this recently, mm-hmm. is that the um, the grief wave comes, there mm-hmm. are the tears, there's the sadness, then it dissolves oftentimes into laughter, and mm-hmm. then it's released until the next one comes. Yeah, anything can happen with grief if you let it flow. It's so emotions are all tied together. It's like this this vast interwoven web, and any extreme emotion can can melt into another one. Just uh, it can turn on a dime when you are in touch uh, with your emotions. Then you're in touch with your emotional life. You get mm-hmm. to experience all emotions, which is why we're here. Which is, I mean, which, which is what, you know, happiness is, the, the, most of us are seeking happiness because it's a wonderful, wonderful experience, and it is tied inextricably to grief and loss and despair and anger and all those other things. Let's talk for a moment about the law of attraction, because yeah. many of us out there believe, you know, believe, and we've been taught to believe the, that you reap what you sow. The feelings that you put out there are what you attract back. And I agree to a certain point. However, this concept of wallowing in our emotions, the ones that are uncomfortable, the ones that are not necessarily pretty, does not necessarily uh, create an open invitation for bad things. No, of course not. Now, I'm no expert in the law of attraction. I've read a few books and, and uh, you know, I have a, a passing knowledge of it. But my understanding of the law of attraction it is, is that it's our intentions that attract things to us. And emotions are not intentions. They're not even by choice. They're not intentional. But the intention that you have when you wallow in, in a yucky feeling is compassion. When you allow yourself to feel exactly the way you do, no matter how badly you feel, your intention in that moment is compassion. You are showing yourself kindness, acceptance, and openness. And when that's your intention, what you're drawing to yourself is more of the same, more kindness, more compassion, and more openness in your life. So that sounds like a good thing to me. Amen to that, you know, and and it's authentic. If if what we want, and all of us, I believe, want to live a life that is good, that is true, that is authentic, mm-hmm. um, that we're, we are li- actually living in that space when we let the emotions roll. Exactly. If you don't want to be um, negative, then don't don't be don't negate your own feelings. And if you want to be authentic. You need to accept the reality of how you feel. And, and I think people get stuck because they think, well, I should be able to choose my feelings. Why am I having bad feelings if I'm a happy person? Why am I feeling unhappy right now? But I, it's important to underline, we do not choose how we feel. We can, we can choose how we deal with our feeling when it comes up. But once we've got a feeling, we really don't, we don't have a choice. We, our choice is to let it be there or to you know, run away or distract or suppress or drink too much or something like that. How do we know when when we are, A, done wallowing, and how do we know when and how to say, all right, enough, zip it up, pull up your panties, fight like a man, get out there, and you're done? 
Okay, well, um, pulling up your panties is absolutely necessary if you're at work or if you've got something where you've really got to pull out all the stops and get something done. You're just gonna you're just gonna do what we all know how to do, which is to swallow whatever you feel and and move uh, into what you need to do. But otherwise, you you know when you're done wallowing for the moment, when you feel better. If you feel better, then you're done. If you don't feel better, maybe ask yourself, well, what's what's been happening here? Have I been criticizing myself while I feel bad? Am I thinking? about this instead of feeling about it. Mm. But if you wallow constructively, you'll know you're done when you feel better. There's a sense of relief that comes from allowing what is to be. It's about the process. What I hear you say, it's we have to come out of our heads and into our hearts and that the, the, uh, the time and space in the heart is Mm -hmm. on a different program. And it may be surprisingly less than um, where we hold time in our heads. Right. Yeah. The heart is has its own wisdom, and everything in our in our uh, upbringing teaches us not to trust our hearts. What we learn is there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything, and you don't know what it is, but there are always other people around to tell you what's right and wrong, and you just need to pay attention and do what's right and wrong. And so, you know, you, you very early on learn that, well, if your heart's telling you something, that, that may not be right. And so you just have to pay attention to uh, what society tells you and follow that instead of following your heart. But there's kids know and people who are in touch know there's tremendous wisdom in the heart and it's safe to follow it. We are about out of time, but before we go, I would love to just add um, a little something, something about anxiety and depression, which are, mm-hmm. which are related, of course, to our feelings, but very different from the allowing the feeling to come and to then let it go and move on. So mm-hmm. what would be uh, some words of wisdom you can give people who are experiencing anxiety and depression compounded with the um, inability to constructively wallow. And we need to be brief, and I'm sorry about that. You'll have to come back. Some depression and some anxiety is directly caused by not being with our feelings. Okay? So depression and anxiety are not things you can wallow in. The feelings that may be driving them or that may have led them to be, those can be safely wallowed in. But depression and anxiety in themselves are not emotions to wallow in. And if depression and anxiety goes on for an extended period of time, and I believe the golden standard is two weeks or more, but Tina, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if that has changed, um, then you need to seek help. Ask for help. Ask for assistance. Absolutely. The book, once again, is Constructive Wallowing, and my amazing guest today is Tina Gilbertson. You can find her at tinagilbertson.com. On Twitter, she is at Tina Gilbertson, and on Facebook, she is at Tina Gilbertson Counseling. You have been an absolute delight, Tina. We will have to get you back because we could we could go on and on and on about I sure could. <laughs> yeah, so could I. Have a great day, and thanks again. Thank you, Lisa. Take care. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. To listen for, and you've done these before, I'm pretty sure, is just my prompt so I can take us to the break gracefully. Okay. And then I'll need about a minute and a half at the end to close out the show. This will be at the end of the second 12-minute segment. Okay. Okay. Are we ready to roll? We are recording now. Go ahead. All right. So we are coming back. This is segment three is my understanding. So that's where we're going to take it from. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are discussing the mindfulness of our emotions. And my next guest is a prolific author on the topic of mindfulness and as it relates specifically to happiness, recovery, and healing. Dr. Thomas Bean is a licensed psychologist, author, and mindfulness teacher in Albuquerque, New Mexico. His psychology background includes extensive clinical practice and research in the field of addictive behavior. He conducts mindful uh, he conducts mindful living workshops, and as I mentioned, he's the author of several books. His most recent being "The Buddha's Way of Happiness." Good morning, Doctor Bean. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, my pleasure. Let's talk about the Buddha's perspective of happiness because it is a bit different. Uh, different than conventional um, ways that we look at happiness, particularly in the Western world. Yeah, it is a little bit different from the way we normally think about happiness. Our um, idea of happiness in our culture has generally a lot to do with um, acquiring certain things or certain life circumstances. And the Buddha's focus is more on um, what we might call contentment, on um, being aware in the present moment of the many wonderful things that are around us and within us beginning with the fact simply of um, drawing breath and being alive. Mm. And as you say that, I'm taking a big, lovely, juicy, deep breath because it is, very, it is a very simple approach to a way of being in the world. Yes, uh, simple, uh, absolutely. Um, not always easy because there are so many things in our lives that... Um, pull us into busyness and stressful ways of feeling and being in the world. So it's not always easy to find our way back to that um, simplicity. I agree with you, especially the not being easy part. I uh, work with a lot of clients who are in addiction in private and group settings. Bless you, by the way. And um, we were talking about this in a large group the other day about how it is not easy you know, because of the, the, the noise pollution, the visual pollution and chaos around us or our perceptions of it being such that to come back to the breath, to come back to that place where we're at ease in our bodies can be very challenging. Yes, it can. Uh, the, um, the word in Pali for mindfulness is sati or in Sanskrit it's smriti. And it has to do with... Um, remembering. And the most difficult part is really just to remember to come back to your breathing, to remember to come back to the present moment and um, experiencing what is good around us. You know, the, the, the concept of the present moment, particularly for people who are healing from trauma or addiction, is I share with people that the present moment is 99.9 tenths percent of the time a safe place. So the opportunity to come to the safe place, being in the present moment in the group or private counseling setting that's happening, um, usually puts a smile on their face because it's like, oh yeah, the light bulb goes on. Right. Yes. You know, and sometimes I think it can help in two ways. Um, One, even if the present moment is 
a moment that is filled with um, pain or unhappiness um, to realize that all we really need to do is is to get through that moment um, because all mind states are impermanent and are changing all the time. So if we can get through what feels like a, um, a difficult moment, we will be all right sometime down the road. But secondly, if we can realize that what's making us unhappy in the present moment is almost all the time, as you say, and I'm glad you didn't say 100%, but almost all the time it has to do with um, the mental um, stuff that's going on, all the thinking, all the proliferation about what is the mental proliferation about what's difficult um, that really gets us caught up in our suffering. And if we can come back to the present moment in the sense of simply getting in touch with you know, something like the blueness of the sky, like as it is here in New Mexico today, or the sounds of the birds, very simple things, and be deeply present to them, we can find that um, there are many healing and restorative elements in this moment. Which brings me to the next question about suffering. What is it that makes us suffering? And I'm, I actually have a big smile on my face, which I'm a bit embarrassed about because, you know, it's, it, what comes to mind is us being our own worst enemies. Yeah, we are. Well, this was the whole thing since I, I uh, examined happiness from the perspective of the Buddha. It's important to remember that this is not some kind of uh, Pollyanna-ish philosophy that, oh, just everything is wonderful uh, in a simplistic way. Because his whole quest for awakening had to deal with um, uh, the nature of human suffering and trying to find a way out of that suffering. And what he discovered as he looked deeply into this problem is that our suffering isn't what we normally think. It, it certainly just isn't about our life circumstances, but it's about the way we hold those things. It's about the way we look at them. And we tend to look at them in a way that involves either um, clinging to things that we like, even, so that even if something good happens, we immediately fear losing that and hope to get more of that, and already the, the, um, the mind is uh, out of balance. Or if something happens that we don't like, saying, getting, upsetting ourselves and saying that this is something awful and we have to get away from this, um, we have to find a way to avoid this in the future and so on, instead of realizing that it's the nature of life that sometimes good stuff happens and sometimes not so good stuff happens. And in particular, uh, when suffering comes with addictions and bad habits, how can mindfulness help us in that recovery and healing process? Well, it, mindfulness is, in a sense, the exact opposite of addiction um, because Addiction tends to run on in a very automatic way. If you talk to someone who, say, is trying to um, stop smoking, um, they might tell you that uh, they find that cigarette in their hand the moment their cell phone rings, and they haven't even realized that they've um, lighted up and started to inhale. Uh, so it's this conditioning element, this automaticity about addiction that is the opposite of mindfulness. And so just to begin to bring awareness to the process of our addiction already begins to bring the healing. Uh, Dr. Ellen Langer, who you may, I'm sure you're familiar with her work, she's been on the show a couple of times and she talks about the mindless state. And uh, I think that there's a very interesting contrast in what you're sharing here when we habitually do something we are in that state of mindlessness. There is a mind. I mean, it's, it's present there somewhere, but we're not in touch with it. We're not um, allowing ourselves to bear witness to what we're doing. Right. So even we can even drive in a mindless kind of way and suddenly find ourselves in, a, in the place that we were going toward and not have any memory of having uh, gotten there. Our sense consciousness is 
clearly working. We were seeing, we were hearing, we were responding um, to what um, was going on around us or we wouldn't arrive safely, uh, but uh, we weren't there. Uh, so we missed the whole journey. I've done it myself countless times where I have driven to a, a destination. I was like, whoa, I don't even remember the stop signs or the stop lights yes. that, that, that got me here. Another was um, that of a bird who has a tiny piece of meat and is really happy with this piece of meat. But then a large bird of play, a prey is coming along. And um, it's going to uh, attack the bird if the bird doesn't release the meat. And the bird just doesn't want to let go of that prized little thing. Whereas if you let go, that would actually be freedom and safety. And just to begin to be aware of the process um, and to ask that kind of question already begins to sow a seed of freedom. And while that seed might take a little while to sprout and we might need to train ourselves for it to sprout, it begins to change the situation. For our listeners that may be confronted with their own personal addictions or the addiction of someone that they love, how might they begin to open up the conversation within themselves as a, as a next step beyond what you've just shared to stay out of the pit of fire or with that loved one to um, view these challenges, these addiction challenges as something different. You know, that we tend to in more traditional worlds of addiction recovery, you go right to the addiction itself rather than choosing another way of being in the world and then the uh, the cravings begin to dissipate because they're replaced with something that is more fulfilling. On, on the Buddhist path, um, there's this word um, renunciation. And in the West, we tend to experience that as a negative word. We tend to experience that as um, something akin to... Um, deprivation, losing something. Um, but what is um, actually the case is that there is a kind of joy in the act of renunciation, in the act of freedom. And uh, you can experience this when you begin to change a habit um, that it's a perhaps a, a subtler kind of pleasure but there is a very real pleasure and a, um, a superior kind of pleasure when we're able to, um, to say no to something that's been pushing us around. <clears throat> and um, in the case of dealing with someone we love who's maybe got an addictive problem, um, we know that's, that's kind of tricky uh, because human nature being such as it is, we don't like being told what to do. Um, even if what we're being told to do makes a lot of sense, like you should wear your seatbelt or you should wear your helmet when you're bicycling or motorcycling or something, we just don't like being told what to do. So we have to be very mindful about that, very careful about how we approach those things. We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Bean specifically about the Buddhist way of happiness. To learn more about, doc about Dr. Thomas Bean, please visit www.mindfulpsychology.com. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Do you like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center 
to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the Medical Center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you are just joining us now, I urge you to download the podcast of this show because it is free, it's kind, it's legal, it's available 24-7, and we are talking about the mindfulness of our emotions with Dr. Thomas Bean. He's written several books. His most recent is The Buddha's Way of Happiness. So, Dr. Bean, let's talk about this concept of happiness, which we always debunk the yellow smiley face on this show. We, we call that face annoying, which it can be at times. Um, but what we're really talking about, as you so um, uh, articulated at the beginning, was cont- is contentment. So mm-hmm. is it selfish to be happy or content? I would say it's the opposite. I would say to be happy and to take care of our happiness you know, in a real way, um, not just masking over, which is what's wrong with the smiley face, uh, negative emotions, or pretending to be happy, which can seem very unempathic toward others if they're suffering. But real happiness based on contentment is the first gift that we give to other people. Because if we don't take care of ourselves and our own happiness, we will add to the misery in the world. I don't mean that as a guilt trip. I just mean that um, taking care of our happiness isn't selfish. So it's like we experience every every time we fly, the uh, the flight staff will tell us, put your own uh, oxygen mask on first. Because if you don't do that, you won't be able to help the people that um, might need assistance. Um, likewise, the muscle of the heart, as the blood passes through it, grabs its own uh, part of the oxygen <clears throat> in the blood first. And if it, that isn't selfish of the heart, if the heart didn't do that, it couldn't function, and the rest of the body couldn't function either. So taking care of ourselves, um, training ourselves to be mindful and appreciative and grateful of what's present so that we can be a happy person uh, immediately helps the rest of the world as well both in terms of those very close around us and um, those at a distance. Um, I agree with you. And I also want to bring up something that I hear over and over and over again. When people are challenged by illness, death, trauma, addiction, the things that we are taught to view as negative and are quite uncomfortable to experience, they'll say, you want me to be happy when I've been through, and then you fill in the blank, or when I'm in the throes of blank. And how would you counsel or guide people to make relationship with the perspective that happiness actually exists in the same sphere as the adversity? Well, first of all, um, the way you said that is that it felt like maybe they, the person feels that someone else is requiring them to feel happy. And there's a kind of lack of empathy, I think, in that kind of stance, if that's why that, what they're in, encountering. Um, but what is the choice, really? If, if you don't get... Even though life is full of many, many difficult things, many painful things, and our happiness can't be based on uh, anything superficial or anything that just 
denies the reality of loss and grief and um, the sensations of pain um, that we occur. But to be happy um, means to find that even though those things are going on, there are still many positive elements that we can appreciate. And um, by appreciating those positive elements, we suffer less. We know as psychologists that um, the perception of pain isn't simply a physiological um, a mechanism at all. It has a lot to do with our psychology. And so um, even our experience of pain changes if we can find a way to uh, calm the experience and, and be in touch with what's nurturing and healing around us. So happiness, um, it, to me, it's the only choice. Um, uh, what else are you going to do? You're just going to suffer a lot more if you can't find a way to be in touch with the happiness in things. Well, I, I like what you said about, uh, you said calming, calming the sensations. Mm -hmm. I think is, And I think that that is really a very, very important skill to cultivate because when we can self-soothe and we can calm those uh, experiences that agitate us and anger us and provoke and trigger us, we have a much better opportunity to um, create joy or that balance and contentment and equanimity as we are traveling through the adversity. Yes, um, and sometimes it's um, too big a step to go from where we are if we're in some kind of mental, uh, emotional, or physical pain um, to happiness. But we can take the step of learning to calm the experience of what's going on right now. And once we are able to calm it, sometimes uh, we can get back in touch with the happiness that is a natural part of who we are. Do we have to have a sense of righteous anger to affect social change? I, I think a lot, you know, a lot of people feel that way. They feel that anger is motivating and they are fear that without um, that kind of anger that we would become apathetic. And perhaps that's true, but at the same time, I think um, love can be a powerful motivating force as it was for someone like Martin Luther King Jr. or Mahatma Gandhi. And it doesn't have any toxic side effects. So the problem, <laughs> the, the problem with anger is that um, it can lead to cycles of um, retaliation and um, uh, that can be very destructive. Uh, like Gandhi's statement that um, an eye for an eye leaves the world blind. Um, and, and that might get us trapped in, in a more and more difficult situation um, if, we, if we don't approach things with some kindness and some peacefulness. Well, the concept of love as being the great medicine and the great healer uh, is one certainly that I have experienced. And when we uh, reside in that place of anger and judgment and shame and guilt and sadness and the whole host of other emotions that do not necessarily contribute to our joy, we back ourselves into a corner that makes it harder to come out of, more challenging. It can be done, of course, but it just makes it harder. Absolutely. Just a, a simple experiment one can do in daily life is notice that uh, when you're driving in this wonderful microcosm that uh, we experience in driving, uh, microcosm of the world. When you're in a, a basically happy and content frame of mind, um, how the other drivers seem to you, how the experience of the road, what it's like, and what it's like when you are in a, um, a negative mental state. When you're in a negative mental state, somehow there are a lot more jerks on the road. <laughs> right? When you're in a positive mental state, you start to see um, some people who are kind, who maybe let, let you cut into the lane or, or things like that. And so these mental states have a way of building on themselves. Uh, when you're in an unwholesome or negative mental state, you notice naturally the things that fit into that mental state and you get more and more that, that way. 
And then you start to react in a way that might be full of anger uh, or sa sadness, and that triggers more of the same from the world. Uh, but when you're in a, a wholesome mental state, you it, that builds on itself as well, and you begin to attract a different kind of experience and a different kind of response from the world around you. I have a couple of more questions, and then we are just about out of time. The first one is, what simple, what are a couple of simple ways we can invite the witness, you know, our own personal witness or the observer in our lives, to to show up? Well, the first thing that's very important to me, at least, is to spend some time at the beginning of the day. Um, just enjoying some mindful breathing. So just feeling the pleasantness of your in-breath and your out-breath and returning to it gently whenever the mind pulls you away from it, which it will. <laughs> uh, and um, that to me becomes the basis of everything else. And without that foundation, I think it's very difficult because remember, the important thing is to remember to remember to come back to the present moment and to your mindfulness. That's the that's 90% of the battle. So you have to establish a foundation, and then you can return to that during the day. Which brings a very interesting question. So maybe there's there are two more questions instead of one. Is uh, we we tend to think of mindfulness as being passive because we're allowing ourselves to simply witness what is. Uh, and, and be aware, and yet the act of remembering is active. I mean, it's an act. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So does being aware in the present moment mean that we shouldn't think about the past, we shouldn't really remember what has happened, or uh, perhaps forecast into the future? We shouldn't get lost in the past. We should contemplate the past and learn from the past with our feet firmly planted in the present moment so we're not swept away by the past. And likewise with planning um, about the future. But look, you know, why did, why did the Titanic sink? The Titanic sunk because someone took action. Because they took action to steer real hard to try to avoid the iceberg, they ended up scraping along the whole side of the vessel so that a critical number of those watertight compartments flooded and the whole ship sank. If they crashed right into the iceberg, the front compartment would have flooded and some people would have died, but the whole ship wouldn't have sunk. So taking action isn't always better. The key is whether our action arises out of a calm and clear awareness of the situation. And when it arises out of that kind of mindfulness, uh, our action, our speech, whatever we do and say, is more likely to be on target and to be effective and not have untoward consequences. Very well said. The book is the Buddha's Way of Happiness. To learn more about Dr. Thomas Bean and his work, you can go to www.mindfulpsychology.com. And on the website, you may download uh, as a gift the first chapter of The Buddha's Way of Happiness. Thank you, Dr. Bean. Before we part, I want to leave you with this thought. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Tina Gilbertson and Dr. Thomas Bean, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And thanks to our producers at TogiNet and at home that make us shine each and every week. Have a great one. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. 
Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the Toginet Radio Network.